All right, thank you guys for leading us in worship. Great job, guys. Uh, so it's my privilege to introduce to you the speaker uh, this weekend. And if you were here last year, we almost never bring back the same speaker two years in a row uh, because we just haven't done that. But um, we just thought it was a good idea because I really got a lot of good feedback from you guys and felt like he really connected with you guys. So, um, I mean, you have to listen to us every week. So it's like, hey, twice in the same year is not a big deal, right? Uh, so, um, but Casey uh, Schutze is with us, and he's at a church in Grapevine as a young adult pastor. And uh, so he'll tell you more about himself and his family. But welcome Casey up here to the stage. Come on up, Casey. Thank you for being here. And uh, we appreciate you, man. Thanks for being here. Take it away. Jack. All right, there we go. Hey, man, you guys are filled with just some excellent leaders with David and his staff. And so y'all give it up for them real quick, too. They, um, man, there's thousands of churches all over the world that don't get the privilege to do what you guys are, are getting to do right now. So I, I, my prayer for you is that you would soak this up, that you'd be totally locked in and present and just ask the Lord what he would do, not only in you, but, but also in this group. So if you would, with me, would you, I just want to pray. Turn up. Okay, here we go. I just want to pray over us for a minute as we get going, and then I'll tell you a little bit more about, about me and stuff. You guys pray with me. Father in heaven, I thank you for an opportunity to open your word, to hear from you. God, to have your word open freely, without any threat of persecution, without any, any threat that someone might uh, come and hurt us. God, it is, it is a wonderful gift. And there are brothers and sisters and Christians all over this world that, God, that are right now hiding underground to hear your word, desperate to hear your word taught. And so I pray that it would miss none of us right now, that it's a privilege to hear the word of God read in a safe place with brothers and sisters and families and pastors who love us and care for us. And I pray you'd open our hearts, open our eyes to hear what you might say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you guys for... Uh, for bringing me back this year um, and hosting my family. I'm here at my family. I just uh, had most of my family step out in the hall because uh, I'm married to my high school sweetheart, Jenna. Uh, we've been together since I was 17 and she was 15. We have four kids that are eight, six, four, and three. Mm-hmm. Yep, so uh, I'm exhausted, right? Uh, and so is she, and, but they are very loud. So if you heard interruptions during prayer, that was my kids. I apologize, right? But some of y'all were loud too, all right? But we're good. So I, uh, man, I was a high school football coach for seven years. I, went, I played football at the University of North Texas, and then I left uh, teaching. And, and after I left college, I went and I, I was a teacher and high school football coach. And after six or seven years, man, I just felt the Lord stirring me up where, where I was just like, I, I cannot not preach the gospel. Like, I, I know what God has done in my life. And it was, a, it was an appetite that was stirring where I was just like, I, I want to belong uh, to his call, give my life to the mission of Jesus. And I left, I left education and uh, stepped into ministry. And my, my local church has been training me up the last five or six years, preparing my wife and I to plant a new church. And so I'm in, a, I'm in a, a season over the next year where they're raising me up uh, to become a pastor and be sent out to, to start a brand new, uh, hopefully in 20, the beginning of 25, to start a brand new church uh, somewhere in DFW. And so I'm, I'm honored to be here with you guys. Um, but myself, I just want to say, I wasn't raised in an explicitly Christian home. 
So if maybe you've had that idea in your head of like, or maybe you're here with a friend and you're like, man, the only reason these people believe these things is because they're raised in church. It's so hard for me to understand what's going on here because my parents didn't teach me the gospel and that's unfair. And, and so it's taken me a long time to understand. One, I want to say God is patient with you. God, it, it's God's grace that you're even here and have friends that have invited you into that. Um, and there are so many of us that weren't raised in an explicitly Christian home that God is gracious and comes after his sheep until he finds us, right? And so uh, I just want to say, if, if this is maybe one of your first or second times to be around church and stuff, I want to communicate in such a way that you can understand that you can hear, and I'll, I'll say some things that maybe are confusing, and then I'll come down and try to, try to make them simple for us. So that's my, that's my hope for us. Well, let me open, open with this. Students, you today live in a wild and crazy time in human history. Raise your hand if you agree with that statement. If not, I'm happy for you that you don't know what's going on in the world, right? But simultaneously, uh, I, I hope you take a history class in college because the world that you're living in right now is crazy. What I don't mean is that the world right now is as bad as it's ever been. That's, I think people exaggerate what's going on in our current cultural moment, right? Just, and if you don't believe that, go back to the 20th century. Like all the world wars, just the, the, oh my gosh, I don't even want to get into it because some of you are going to start Googling right now. But the 20th century was terrible. It showed us that human, hu humans are not innately good in and of themselves, that humans are actually bent towards brokenness and selfishness in their own ways. But I do want to say, your current cultural moment, what year is it? I just wanted to make sure you're awake. In 2024, in 2024, you live in a, what, what most people who study culture is, is, they're calling a cultural crisis of identity and purpose. Say identity. Say purpose. Everybody wants to know. When I say identity, I mean, who am I? Who are you? What is your purpose? Your, your sense of what are we here to do? Past generations could easily answer questions like, does God exist? What is God like? Why did he make people? Why are we here on earth? Why is the world broken? Is there anyone who can fix it? And what should we do with our lives? But our culture today, you guys tracking with me? Our culture today cannot answer those questions. Those questions are lost in the clouds of relativism. Our culture does not know what to do with those answers and so those questions. So our culture will say things like this. Tell me if you've heard this before. Raise your hand if you're in high school. Real quick, I just want to get a, a feel of the room. High school, okay. Raise your hand if you're in junior high. Junior high, middle school, whatever. All right, raise your hand if you're in college, home for the weekend to serve and hang out. All right, raise your hand if you're above 40. I'm 34, but I'm glad you're here. I'm close, I feel closer to you than I've ever been in my life, all right? All right, I'm bald. Here we go, move on. Now, all of us, I don't care if you're 11 or 45 in this room, okay? Maybe there's older than that. Here we go, move on. All of us are hearing things like this. There's no such thing, to, no, there's no such thing as right and wrong. There's no right way to answer those questions. All roads lead to God. God is like, God is like in all of us anyway. God, everyone has a piece of God. Every culture and religion is just touching the same side of a big elephant. 
We're just blind, you know, and, and, you know, if you live in the Eastern culture, you're touching this part of the elephant. And if you live over here in America, you're touching this part of the elephant. And if you live in China, you guys ever heard that? College is coming. Our culture says silly things like that, that there's no right or, or wrong way to believe or more than that. Our culture also says there's no right or wrong way to live. Do whatever feels you feel in the, do whatever feels Huh? Have you not heard this? Where people say, live your, live your truth. Just live your truth. Do whatever, feels, do whatever feels good to you. Do whatever feels right. Well, what if your good and my good are different? What if your good is that you should steal money from people and walk over people, and my good is that I want to care for people's needs? Well, those are competing goods. Those are, who, who, is, who is there to say which one of us is wrong? Not to mention, is there any wonder that Gen Z, that's your generation and even Gen Alpha, your generation is being defined not just by Christians, but go to NewYorkTimes.com. Your generation is being defined as the most anxious and aimless generation of all time. You don't have to raise your hand, but do you feel anxious tonight? Do you feel a sense of aimlessness like you don't know where you're going and where your life is heading? Our culture cannot help you at all in that. There's, no, there's nothing apart from over-medication. And I'm pro-medication, I'm pro but there's no, our culture has nothing, nothing deep in the core of, of what it means to be human, what it means to exist and to do something that, with your life that counts. Our culture cannot answer that. But the good news is, there is answers to those questions. Amen? There, there is hope and resources for that, but it will require something of you. It will require you and I, all of us in this room. It requires us to humble ourselves and require that we, and it'll, we have to acknowledge we're not the center of the universe, that we're not, the, we're not just writing our own story, but we are caught up in an all-encompassing story of the God of all creation. And this story is what we call the gospel. In Romans 1, Paul calls it the gospel of God. It can be outlined in this, that there's a story of a creation, that there's a good, right, and creator God who's all-wise, all-loving, and good, and right, and true. All beauty, everything wonderful, all taste and delight and glory, everything good you've ever touched, seen, or felt comes from the hand and heart and mind of the creator God. Everything. Every music you like, every Taylor Swift album you've ever led to, in her creative brilliance, all of that, whatever, get over it. She's brilliant, okay? I, I don't love all her music, but you're a hater to say she's not brilliant, right? But the point is this. At the end of the day, if Taylor Swift says, all of my brilliance came from myself, she's arrogant and prideful and not acknowledging that she's created by God. And all her wisdom and creativity and musical insight comes from a God that has gifted her extremely and such is the same for you as well we are caught up in a world and in a story that is not our own and so my hope for this weekend friends listen to me is that you would walk away with a couple things that you would know what the gospel is that you would know why we need it and you would know how it's the only hope for our world lots of people let's begin 
Lots of people in Christian history have been confused, even angry at the thought of a holy and righteous God that they have uh, not only been made by, but then sinned against. Um, my pastor says it this way. Humanity's sin is, is like this, is that we have started a war with God and we've fired the first shot. That we've started the war and we pulled trigger first. We became enemies with God when we sinned and were separated from a holy and righteous God. Uh, you guys ever heard of a guy named Martin Luther? If you've been in a history class, he's the guy that's got hair on the side of his head and wears a big uh, robe, right, and a, and a brown robe, and he's bald on top. So me and him have a lot in common, okay? But Martin Luther, at one point, he was a Catholic monk, all right? And, all, and he, he was so angry at himself, his own sin. He, there were certain sins in his life that he couldn't overcome. Have you ever felt that? Are there certain things that you think in your life, I will never get over this. I can never stop this. But then one day he started, for, for a season of his life, he started studying Romans chapter 1 and 2 and 3, and he started reading the entire book of this book of Romans. Raise your hand if you've read Romans before. It's wonderful. It, but it's also, there's things that are confusing in it too, that you're like, what does that even mean? And there were parts that for him... He could not stand. And this is what he said as he read Romans chapter 1. I believe we have the quote. He said this. I had conceived, I'm sorry, I had, I had convinced a burning desire to understand what Paul meant in this letter to the Romans. But thus, thus far there had stood in my way one little phrase in chapter 1. Read it with me. One, two, three. The righteousness of God I did not love. No, I hated this righteous God who punishes sinners. He looked at the phrase. Do you have your Bibles with you? I want you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Or if you have a phone, go ahead and, and open your Bible, but silence notifications I, that, that for your own good, okay? And for my own ADHD sanity, all right? Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17, it says this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the theme of our week, isn't it? Our weekend, not ashamed. This is kind of the heartbeat of the entire letter. He says this, it'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, this whole phrase, Martin Luther could not understand it. And that phrase, the righteousness of God, what he thought that that meant was that God is righteous and the only way to get to heaven is for you to be in and of yourself, apart from God, perfectly righteous. That you have to live a perfect life. And the longer he sat with it, he thought, wait, that is what that means. And that's impossible. And if God requires me to be absolutely perfectly righteous, I have no hope. And so he began to hate this God. The longer he studied the idea that God was righteous, he began to hate a righteous God. But then the second quote we have from Luther is this. But then I grasped that the righteousness of God is that righteousness which through grace and sheer mercy, God justifies us by faith, not by our works. Thereupon, I find myself to be reborn. 
and to have gone through open doors into paradise. I broke through as I had formerly hated the expression, the righteousness of God. Now I began to regard it as my dearest and most comforting word. My question to you today, friends, is do you understand the most essential part of the Christian message? How can someone be righteous? How can someone who is a sinner against a perfect and loving and sovereign and holy God, you and I, how can we be righteous? How can we be as what God intends us to be? Who can do it? Who can attain it? And when he says in Romans 16, he's not ashamed of the gospel. Another way to put that is I'm not offended by the gospel. Why would someone be ashamed or offended by the gospel? Well, let me give you a few things. Here's basic Christianity. You with me? Basic Christianity says this. To be saved, you have to receive the free gift of righteousness by faith. By your works? No, by faith. By, by faith alone, which means we can't take pride for this. So when you become a Christian, it's not because you're super smart, it's not because you're born in a Christian family, and it's not because you figured out how to perfectly read the Bible. It's because God is merciful and gracious, that God called you to himself, opened your eyes, and you saw the beauty of King Jesus. That is called grace, that he would open your heart and your mind to say, yes, I need Jesus. That happens by grace, but the world hates that message because there's something in us, especially as Americans, go earn it, go work hard, the American dream, go get it, grind and work, and I'm not against grind and working, some of us really need to work hard because we're in and of ourselves, we're pretty lazy, so we need some, we need some challenge, but that's anti-gospel. The gospel is not work for it, the gospel is someone else worked in your place, Someone else earned this on your behalf, so that's one thing. The second thing, you can't say, but I'm a pretty good person. I don't need the gospel. I don't need Jesus. I'm pretty good. I have all A's. Like, my parents make a lot of money, and I'm, I'm like, I'm kind to my teachers. Because, actually, if that's your stance, the Bible would call you self-righteous. That you would say, you don't need Jesus, you have yourself. And that's terrifying as well. But lastly, most offensive to the gospel is this. The gospel is offensive. Say offensive. It's offensive because the gospel says we are so sinful that Jesus had to actually die. That's how bad we are. That someone had to die and be punished in our place. But it also says that we are so loved, he was willing to die. And if you lose either of those components, friends, you've missed the gospel. Some of you will walk out of this church this weekend and you'll go to another church that they're just real angry about the gospel, right? You, you're just unrighteous sinners. You're so disgusting and gross before a holy God. And that's why Jesus died. And that's the only message they'll stay on. You'll go to other churches and they're all about the love of God. And the, God is fine with all your sin and he's comfortable with that. But the gospel actually holds both of those things and says, yes, we are broken and sinful, but yes, in the gospel, we are perfectly loved and accepted and chosen. And we will miss something about ourselves and about God and the world unless we embrace both of those things. You guys with me? 
we have to see that we are sinners against the holy God. And we also have to look to the one place that God has offered us, righteousness and hope and forgiveness and salvation and love. And it's found in the cross of Jesus Christ. That in the cross, here's what's happened. Jesus lived the life you and I could not live. You guys with me? He didn't just die our death. He lived our life. He lived a perfect life of love. Jesus never sinned. Jesus always obeyed. Jesus loved people, made room for people who were outcast and broken. Jesus loved his neighbor as himself. Jesus loved the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He calls us to do that. Jesus did that perfectly. So he lived the life, but he also died the death. But that's not the finish of the gospel. On the third day, he rose from the dead. If Jesus is dead, then we're, if Jesus is still dead right now, this is a fun weekend singing songs and playing games, but we're all wasting our time. But if Jesus Christ is alive, then the world that you and I live in is a mysterious, wonderful, interesting, peculiar, incredible world with potential and hope and reason and that, that'll get you up out of bed to think that Jesus died, rose from the dead, and ascended to his rightful place. And when you put your faith in Jesus, what gets put on you is, does anybody know the answer? When you put your faith in Jesus, God places upon you the righteousness of God. Say righteousness. Here's how God can justify unrighteous sinners. I got two Two kind of quick definitions if you're taking notes. The righteousness of God is something God is and something God gives. Read it with me. Something God is and something God gives. God is righteous. But he also, by faith alone, gives us the righteousness he requires. Go to the next one. The next one, here's a short definition. If you were saying, I I still don't get it. Okay, let me try to make it a little easier. The righteousness of God is God's perfect way to declare unrighteous people righteous by faith. You guys with me? It means, it's, think about this. Anybody got zero dollars in your account tonight? Anybody got a credit card your mom and dad gives you? Raise your hand if you got a credit card. Right? My Venmo is Casey underscore shoots it. You can go ahead and send me. I don't, I'm just kidding. All right? I hope that's not it. And I wake up and I've got like 40 bucks in my account. I'm like, look at these kids. Okay. The point is, if you got zero bucks in your account, your account is, is bankrupt, right? And if all of a sudden you woke up in the morning and you looked at your account and I gave you my account and you would have everything in my account, you'd, you'd have about $200, right? I'm just kidding. Let's, let's say I had, I'm, I don't, but let's say I had a million dollars in my account and we switched bank accounts. I took your absolute broken bank account and you took my one million dollars in the gospel here's what's happened jesus takes our broken bank accounts our broken sinful record and he switches places with us and we get his perfect righteousness so that when god looks at you if you were to place your faith in jesus god would look at you with as much love as he loves his own dear son jesus that truth will transform your, ab- your actual life to know that you are forgiven, seen as righteous, loved, and adored every much as the Father loves the Son, that if your faith is in Jesus right now or by the end of this weekend, 
that God would look at you and say, daughter, I see you. You are mine. I see you as beloved, forgiven, holy, and righteous. Now, that was the intro for the weekend. (laughs) Some of you are like, is the sermon almost over? Yes, kind of. Four quick things. I want you to go back to the top of Romans, and we got a long time together tonight. But I didn't want to move on until we were on the same page of what is righteousness. Does that mean God's not going to love me unless I do all these good deeds? That I hope that I just argued against that. So I want to go to the top of these first few verses, pull out a couple things that I think will be really helpful. Verses 1 through 6, you guys got a Bible? It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. First thing, number one, I want you to know four quick truths. Number one, the gospel has always been God's plan. The gospel is not a new thing. The gospel is the story of all the Old Testament. The gospel is God's idea. It means literally good news. It was promised beforehand. Even as Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God promises in Genesis chapter 3. Eve feels her shame. Adam feels his shame. And God tells them, Eve, from your womb will come someone that will crush the head of the serpent. So even right there, God promises Someone is coming to right this wrong. Someone's coming to fix what y'all broke. Later, you guys know the story of Abraham? Who's Abraham? He's the one that what, did what? Father of? Father Abraham had many sons. You remember that one? You know the song. You don't know now. Okay, do we know anything about Abraham? So Abraham's the father of many nations, right? And when he believes God, God counts his belief as righteousness. But in Abraham, listen, he tells Abraham, through you is coming someone. Someone is going to come through your lineage, through your family, that will bless all the world. You guys remember King David? What what is one thing David did? Y'all remember David? Blurt it out. David, what did David do? Besides, like, messed up real bad, what's one good thing David did? Killed Goliath. Let me tell you a part of the story your parents probably hadn't told you. You know what happens after David kills Goliath? He gets a sword and he cuts his head off and he holds his head up high. He crushes the head of the enemy. Ah, sorry, parents, if you're mad at me, just come talk afterwards, okay? But the point is, he comes in and crushes the enemies of God. Now, there's a, you could say, wow, David's the point of the story, but David's not. The point of the story is someone is coming that's going to crush the head of the serpent, that's going to destroy all of God's enemies, and that'll be King Jesus. From from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end, all these stories are not just fun Sunday school stories. They're pointing to that God had a plan, sending a rescuer, a perfect Savior that they would look for, that would rescue the people of God and, and, and reign over them as king forever. Which leads me to point number two. The gospel is ultimately Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the good news. What we're holding up to you is not 
a great Bible reading plan, though that's good. We're not saying you should learn some of these Old Testament stories. You should, but that's not ultimately our hope. We're not even saying, hey, the point is that you would make friends in church, though that's good. The message is Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. We don't proclaim anything else other than a person. The name Jesus literally means God saves. Yahweh saves. It was promised beforehand that the gospel is a declaration of the perfect rule and reign of King Jesus. And we're invited to make that King Lord. Who's the best basketball player on earth right now? Michael Jordan's about 65. If he's still the best basketball player on earth, I'm shocked. Who? Someone, someone, who? Joel Embiid? Everybody? It can't be everybody. Steph Curry, LeBron James. Okay, hey, shh. Let's bring it back. Let's imagine, I'm just going to say, this is going to be, y'all are going to agree with all my theology and just fight me over who's the best basketball player in the world, right? But the point in this is, let's call it LeBron James. All right? Now, listen, you have a greater chance at, at defeating LeBron James in one-on-one than you have at defeating death. You have a better chance to defeat LeBron James in one-on-one than you do at defeating death. Death is coming for all of us. Death is undefeated except by one. There's only one who has defeated death. There's only one who has confidence over death in the grave. And it's the one who not only was raised from the dead, but ascended to his proper place in heaven. We are holding up the message of a person, King Jesus. You guys know the song, What a Beautiful Name? We're going to sing it tonight. And I found that out earlier when I, do, when I talked to our band. But there's a line in that song that says this. Death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring the praise of your glory. For you are raised to life again. What a beautiful name it is. We are, Jesus is the gospel. The gospel is Jesus. We are holding up a person and saying, look to him. He is our hope. He's the one who death could not hold, who silenced the grave. Number three, that ought to cause something in your life. You cannot walk out of this room saying, that was cool. That was a good information. His life demands a response. The gospel demands a response of faith-fueled obedience. You cannot hear that message and say, cool, that's great. That doesn't matter for me. Everyone has to make a response to this person of Jesus. Here's three ways that people respond in the Gospels. Number one, they absolutely hate Jesus. The Pharisees cannot stand Jesus. They hate him. They want to kill him. Number two, people get terrified of Jesus. When Jesus calms the sea, his disciples don't immediately worship him. You remember what they do? In Mark 4, they're in the boat. They are scared of the storm, but when Jesus speaks to the storm and says, hey, you can't be a storm anymore, 
they, get, they, they, they withdraw away from Jesus and they say, who is this? Who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? So they're, they either hate Jesus, they're terrified of Jesus, and there's only one, res- one response left. They adore him and they worship him and they fall at his feet. You can crucify him or you can crown him. That's the only response to King Jesus. And all of us in this room and every man and woman in the entire planet has to make a choice about what you're going to do with King Jesus. And that leads me to number four. This message is not just for Temple Bible Church. This gospel is for the nations. This gospel is for the world. It's not just an American gospel. The Holy Spirit wants the world for Jesus. And some of you don't even know. King Jesus is about to transform the life that you thought you were going to have. Some of you, you just want to go, I want to go to college. I want to get married, have a couple kids, be happy, get an average job, and die. And if that's what you want, that is a wasted life. There is more than that. There may be some beautiful things about a good job and a good wife and a good husband and wonderful kids with snot nose and COVID and all sorts of other things. Life is more than that. C.S. Lewis says that story, if you don't have the book, The Weight of Glory, email me and I will buy it for you. I promise. The Weight of Glory, just read chapter one and two. He says, our hearts are like little kids that their parents have invited them to vacation. Y'all going on vacation anywhere this summer? Imagine your parents invite you into, to go swimming at holiday at the, in, in a holiday at sea. But right before you see the ocean, you see a pile of mud. And as a little kid, you just say, a mud pile! And we dive into the mud pile, and we throw the mud all over us. Mommy, I'm swimming in the mud pile. And mommy's like, dude, the ocean is right there. C.S. Lewis says, our hearts are too, e- listen to me, our hearts are too easily satisfied. We're happy with mud when there's an ocean right over the, over the edge. And some of you, your whole life is consumed with what someone thinks about you on Instagram. Or you're consumed with pornography. Or you're consumed with what your future is going to be. And am I making my parents happy? And am I making that girl happy? Am I making that guy happy? And your whole life is caught up in something temporary. Your your life is caught up in mud. And Jesus is inviting you. Come swim. Come swim in the ocean of my grace. Come find what your life exists for. Come into into the depth of the water of the love of God. We're going to close with three things you can do with this. Number one. You can belong to Jesus. You can. You may say, but I've sinned and, I'm, and I've, I, don't know, I don't know if I'm good enough. None of that. None of us are good enough. The cross says none of us are good enough and you can come to him as you are because Jesus lived and died in your place. Number two, you can trust and obey Jesus. Some of you are Christians and you've said, I've already said yes to Jesus and like following Jesus is hard. Yes, it is. But when God gives us a command, it's always for our good. And as we obey God, he takes us into deeper places with God. Trust and obey Jesus and see what lies on the other side of the shore. And lastly, number three, you can give your life to the mission of Jesus. 
We're going to talk more about that tonight. But the mission of Jesus. There are people in your schools and in your city and in nations. Some of you, Jesus is about to wreck your life and it's going to be the most beautiful thing that could possibly happen to you. And he's going to send you places you never thought imaginable. And I want to pray for a minute for you that all of us would experience that this weekend. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you for the time in your word. I thank you for this Temple Bible Church and the leaders and the small group leaders and college kids that came home. God, would you bless us this weekend? Lord, this weekend is a waste if we don't pursue you. This weekend, every dollar spent, all the time invested, it is a waste if we don't consider you. So God, will you humble us? Open our ears and our hearts. Help us receive what you might have for us. In Jesus' name we pray.